0: Listeners to another episode of the Busby Babe podcast. I'm your host Colin Dams here, joined once again by Nathan Heinschel and Polly Questel. How's it going,
1: boys? Um, I've got a White Russian stout, so it's.
2: it's Oh, we're drinking? (laughs) No one told me.
1: Wait.
2: (laughs) I've got
0: a Coca-Cola Zero.
2: Oh, I would have. I would have gotten a drink, Nathan.
1: Go get a drink then.
2: Oh, I'm in the middle of working out, but I would have like. Been more uh, inclined to start my workout earlier if I knew we were drinking it. Whatever recording time this is, I'm not going to blow your spot.
1: I guess it's my bad it, today. So we have today off because it was a uh, match week yesterday. So or match day yesterday. So yeah, an entire week one day. Right. You <laughs> well, I mean the that's <laughs> that's what it feels like when I have to go to a wedding this weekend. So this is my only chance to get chores done.
2: Oh. Whoa, whoa, we're going to weddings now?
0: Polly is multitasking hard right now, by the way.
2: Yeah, well, Nathan's going to a wedding in the middle of a pandemic. Like, let's not point fingers at me. Let's point fingers <laughs> at.
0: Me. Polly's horse racing while an- analyzing Scott McTominay and recording a podcast, so. It,
1: it, it will be an outdoor venue. I will be masked up the whole time.
2: I Actually, next week, I have to attend a virtual wedding uh and i have to do that while i am attending a different wedding and i can do it because the wedding i am attending is a drive-in movie wedding so apparently we're going to like a big field and instead of a movie it's a wedding but i don't have to get out of my car which means I don't have to pay attention so I could actually <laughs> stream this other wedding that I also will be like, well, I'm just streaming it. So I don't have to pay attention to you either. So um, hopefully we can use the fiance's phone so that I can use my phone to, to, to do probably bet on horses.
1: Uh, Busby <laughs> babe listeners uh, following listening to this podcast, please vote in our new poll of which podcast is probably going to listen to during that wedding. <laughs>
0: Or see if Polly can find a guest spot on another podcast during that wedding. Right. <laughs> All right. So
2: not now, honey, they're asking me about McTominay. <laughs> Nobody wanted to play for anyways. Them.
0: But yeah, we um we do need to talk about Manchester United a little bit. Um Probably a six one loss to to Tottenham Hotspur's this past weekend. Um, to be fair, it was only a 2-1 loss when, uh, Anthony Marcial got sent off for getting elbowed by Eric Lamella and then giving him a little, you know, tap on the chin in return. Uh, and then things just kind of went south from there. Uh, abysmal defending all around and, uh, probably worse than the result was the reaction afterwards because, This loss came a day before the transfer deadline day. Uh, We did not get Jaden Sancho. Uh, Instead, we got Edinson Cavani, uh, Facundo Polistri, uh, Ahmad Diallo Traore, and um, I feel like I'm missing one. Oh, Alex Tellez. So, a sizable haul on that Monday after, but, you know, the... Pairing of missing out on Jaden Sancho and the six-one Tottenham loss really got people going uh, on the bird. So, do you guys have any thoughts on that?
1: Um, I think the f- the first thing that really stuck out to me, um, at least in relation to the red card incident, I've never understood why in sports the Greater punishment is always on the reaction, not the instigation. When it was just like, it, it's just never made sense to me. Why are you going to give a red card to Anthony Martial after Eric Lamella is the one who is, one, famous for shithousery, and then, two, commit shithousery, knowing that he's going to potentially get a reaction? He does. Like, how how is that not just an equal offense? It, it, it's never made sense to me. It, it's the same way in basketball, too, you know? Um, a player is more likely to get ejected for reacting to being fouled as opposed to actually instantly a foul worth reacting towards. Um, it just doesn't make any sense, especially since they went to VAR and they could see clear as day. Eric Lamella cocks his elbow back, hits Marcial up in the upper chest, and then probably then, because of the positioning, would uh, go up against Marcial's neck as well. It just... None of that made sense. It should have been either or. It's either double yellows or send them both off. Like it's just the Premier League continues to make these crazy calls, and we we keep seeing it with goals. Now we're seeing it with these with these penalties, and it just doesn't feel like there's any consistency. It doesn't make any sense.
2: Yeah, right. so I th- I get was... that. I get that because like again, Lamell is watching it back because I, I said the same thing when we when when I was watching it, and I texted my friend who's a Spurs fan, who was like. You're 100% correct, but, like, that doesn't change the fact this is very funny. And I was like, th- I, when I'm watching it back and I'm listening to Lee Dixon talk, who, you know, noted Manchester United apologist, uh, right, Lee Dixon, uh, saying... The former
1: Arsenal man, Lee Dixon?
2: Yeah, saying this wasn't violent conduct. And, like, I get it. You hit Marcia, like, you, you go to elbow Martial in in the thing and then and then you slide this wasn't an accident this wasn't slippery this was slyly lift like let that elbow make contact with martial and then slide up to get him under the chin and it's totally unprovoked it's not even like he's trying to run it's not even like he's trying to create separation he's just shoving it in there and then martial just gives him a tiny little slap and i i I do wonder if if and then there you count it one and a half, two, and and then LaMelo grabs his face and goes down. And I wonder if he didn't do that, would a red card even have come out? But Nathan's right. Like how, like, how do you look at this and say it's anything other than both of them or neither of them? Like, it's very clear Marcial is provoked by, by shithousery, and he responds. Having said that, like, Marcial, you cannot put your hands near an opponent's face and give the referee an opportunity to give you that red card.
0: It reminded yeah, me I, of the uh, Manchester Derby a couple of years ago when Fellaini was sent off for a similar, you know, exchange with Sergio Aguero, where Aguero was the one who, you know, approached Fellaini, and as soon as they met, Aguero is the one that goes to ground. And I think the fact that Eric Lamella went to ground definitely caught the attention of the referee. Otherwise, you know, nobody would have even noticed this was happening.
2: Yeah, and although I'm about the game, what I'll say is like you pointed it out, Colin, it was two one at the time, off of two horrific goals that were defender that were clear mistakes by the defender. I mean, there were three or four mistakes on that first goal from McGuire and Shaw. Um, I mean, at the end of the Bye. day, Shaw, Shaw could have put his boot through the ball and blasted it over the crossbar, and he never did. Um, he, he tried to body off a defender so David De Gea could come collect it, except David De Gea never moved. That second goal, you know, Baye just switches off and lets Sun run free. Uh, and my friend said, like, a lot of Spurs fans are getting way above, like weighing over their heads for a game that was 2-1 before, like, that was only 2-1 when it was 11-v-11. 11 11, and my response was like, yeah. But when I watched this thing back, this was not even a remotely close 2 one game. Uh, like you, like considering that United, you you, have, you remember those games under Van Hall and like and Mourinho where United would storm the opposing team's box, get three or four really good chances in like the first two minutes, not score on them at all, and then you were like, oh, this is bad because like the next 88 minutes we're gonna get nothing. This was exactly that. United got into the box and got a penalty 30 seconds into the game. And that was it. They got nothing the rest of the way, even when they had um, 11 men. Because, and because Jose Mourinho set out to embarrass Ali Solstar, and he did exactly that. He didn't want to just win this game. He wanted to embarrass Solskjaer. It was probably the best one game Mourinho performance since Ajax in the Europa League final. He set out to target our weakest points and exploited them so perfectly. We never had a chance in this game.
0: Yeah. And um, weaknesses in our defense that have been kind of under the microscope, you know, even towards the end of last season, really, I mean, the narrative around it is just exacerbated by this performance. Um, Paul, you've talked a lot about Harry Maguire this week, and there's conversation about, you know, where his head's at and, a lot of people, you know, saying that he probably shouldn't be captain. But I think all of that's beside the point right now when it comes to looking at what Manchester United need to do next. Uh, and we, we talked on the slack a little bit, and you think that maybe Maguire should take a rest, you know, for a couple of games. Um, and I kind of took an opposite position. I think the thing to do now is to, you know, try and find any sort of stability is to get the Maguire uh, Lindelof partnership back in there. Um, so I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that a little bit, because our next opponents, you know, they're coming fast and heavy. It's Newcastle, PSG, Arsenal, Chelsea.
2: Yeah, I genuinely don't know why he went to Baye in this game. I, th- I, I think it was, you know, the fans have been screaming for it because they hate Lindelof for since since February, I guess. And the defense has been picked apart in two games, although both goals against Brighton were the fault of Bruno Fernandes and not actually the defenders. So I think he was just doing it to spark a change, but I mean, be careful what you wish for because Eric Bayou was terrible, but yeah, Maguire, this, this grease thing is clearly affecting him. He, he just doesn't look right. And he looks off. And I, I, I think he should have withdrawn from the England squad and, and taken time away a week or so to just unplug. that's that's what he went to Greece for,, uh, because that's what footballers need to do at the end of a the season. They need to unplug, not think about football, not think about anything. just relax for seven to ten days. And that's what McGuire was going to do, and then he couldn't because something happened. Something very traumatic happened, and it's clear that that's affecting him because it, it you know, all of a sudden, it's not just like, oh, I got into a little altercation. It's something that's been happening that's requiring more focus in his mind than going up against Chelsea or Manchester City. And it's every day. So that time that he had to unplug didn't actually happen because his, his brain wasn't being used in the same way. But the stress was – it's not the same stress, but it's the same level of stress. And just come back from the break, Solskjaer – tells you, like, you're a captain, we're behind you, but you need to take a break. Put Lindelof and buy in there against Newcastle because they can handle it against Newcastle. The two of them played very well against Brighton in the League Cup, and it wasn't just, oh, Brighton's B team, but as a partnership, they looked in sync. And then go from there. Uh, then you see what, what, what to do from there. You could probably bring him back in against PSG because they're probably going to play a back three, and that's a different conversation. But at least just if he would have taken this time away from England and just had this chance to finally unplug because speaking with someone, they told me that when he got back from Greece, the club said to McGuire, you need a break and you like take a week. And he said, no, I'm going right back into training, which if that was Bruno Fernandes, the fan base would have been. Uh, gushing at that. Oh my God, make this guy captain. Oh my God, this guy, what, he'll do anything for the club. Maguire, they seem to hate it, but like, you know, that's, that's the attitude that he had. And, and in reality, the, you know, the club so could say, okay, fine. That's what you want to do. You're my captain. Um, I trust you on this. If that's what you want to do, that's what, that's what we're going to do. But now it's been three games and he just looks completely lost that you have to sit him down and say I trusted you here it's not working we got to do it my way now
1: I mean I I think I'm in full agreement we we noticed over the summer that he was starting to look a little sluggish um I I we're just we speculated this when the restart happened and we knew that it was going to be a condensed schedule that was going to go across the summer and it was going to affect everybody's year this year and that's why i think we were all pretty you know much in consideration let's just cancel the 2019 2020 season and then start this season fresh because otherwise it we've instead got these two seasons and other kind of kind of be lumped together because of how smashed up against each other they are that's really going to um define both seasons of how 1920 finished and how 2021 is starting um it just there's a lot of guys that look super gassed right now and they're just, nobody's up to fitness and Tottenham took it to them and they, and we're looking at other teams right now, do the same thing to Manchester United. Um, Just we we're stretched thin, And so a guy like McGuire who played like every single game last season, understandably is probably just
2: gassed. I don't, I don't even think he's physically gassed. I just think it's, I, I just think it's mental, but like, the the fan reaction to him, like people are mad. Oh, he didn't argue the red card like furvishly enough. Like get out of here. First of all, like arguing with the ref in that situation does nothing because they actually now can look at it. They can change their mind and they don't. And they and they looked at it and they came up with a ridiculous decision. But what are you going to do? Argue with the ref and and get yourself booked? Like to to say that he wasn't arguing intensely enough is just such bullshit. Um. But this also, like, it comes down, again, I don't get why he went to buy in this game because last year, Victor Lindelof kept Harry Kane in his back pocket twice. In two matches, he took him right out of the match. And maybe it wouldn't have mattered if did this very well. Is he, he put Kane on Lindelof last year because Lindelof's weak in the air, and the goal was get it up on the Harry's head and we'll get an advantage there. It never happened. United prevented them from doing that. He put, he stuck Kane right on Maguire and used him as a false nine. And Maguire basically looked like Ferdinand and Vidic in the 2011 Champions League final of, oh, Messi's dropping into the midfield. What do we do? And that was Maguire acted like he had never seen a false nine before, followed Messi into the midfield every time. And looked completely lost doing so. Uh, not Messi. Kane. Looked completely was lost say, doing you, so. <laughs> are
0: you calling Harry Kane Lionel Messi?
2: <laughs> um,
0: For so, so,
2: I mean, at least, at least Maguire knew what to like. Not maybe, maybe not knew what to do, but he, he stayed with him every time. And then Son and Lamella were running into the space. So what did, what did your fullbacks have to do? They had to, to mark those runs. And Sean Wan-Bissaka did an excellent job of staying with those runs. And then what happened? Well, Mason Greenwood would end up on the left. Martial ended up on the left. Rashford ended up on the left. Or whoever's on the right. No one decided to track back. And Yuan and very much Serge Aurier would just bomb down in, on, on the flanks. And that's your forward, that's your winger's job to track back and mark those guys. And they never did. So Shaw's getting pulled inside. This man but then the ball final you know the midfield is just giving Harry Kane loads of space or Musta Sissoko and then they're bombing these passes out to a Serge Aurier who is basically you know on his own island and then Shaw has to react and get out wide and then the fan well oh, Shaw and Bissaka they're they're constantly out of position and letting people run free and it's like no they're staying with their men the people who the the people who who are in charge of watching them have no interest in playing defense and Mourinho knew that. He knew he knows Greenwood doesn't come back. He knows Rashford, you know, could be so. He watched the Brighton game where Bruno was letting people get in behind them the entire game. And Bruno did the same thing on Sunday. So yeah, he he said, let's drag their fullbacks inside, and then we're gonna have freedom on the outside. It was like it was just tactically brilliant for Mourinho, and I hate giving the man credit because I hate him,
0: but it was brilliant. But- but he does this, you know, yeah. I mean, this is something Jose Mourinho does, especially against, you know, not necessarily teams that previously employed him, but teams that he knows and right. teams that this
2: is, he that's the annoying realizes thing about, he
0: has to figure out.
2: That's the annoying thing about Mourinho is it just seems like in most games he plays the same way. It's not like, all right, like, let's just set up defensive and be a nuisance and and da da da. You know, there's like there's Mourinho playing against Everton and then there's Mourinho playing against City. And it's like, all right, we're going to make ourselves a, a, a nuisance to play against. We're going to hit him on the break. We're going to try to nick one and 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 win one nail. And then there's and then there's the third Mourinho, which is very rare, which is the, oh, I really want to win that game. And he starts preparing for that like three weeks in advance and creates his own game plan for it. And that was this game. And, usually, and when he does that, he's so good. It's just that he doesn't do that week to week.
0: That's the thing about this Tottenham team. This isn't a Tottenham podcast, so we won't spend too much But, the, the, you know, there's pieces here. Um, in that all or nothing where he, you know, said that you've got a better squad here than what I had at Manchester United, I was kind of inclined to agree with that. You know, the, the midfield definitely is not up to par with you know, players like Paul Pogba or now Bruno Fernandez. But, you know, Harry Kane, Son Heung-min, now Stephen Bergwijn, even Deli Ali to some extent. These are attacking players that, you know, Jose's gonna have to be creative with. And I think we saw kind of the best of what these guys can do when they express themselves in this game.
1: Oh shoot, he can bring Lucas Moore off the bench too. Yeah. I mean I mean the, he's the, got I mean the thing is he's got a lot of
2: talent. They, he has a lot of talent. Is it a better squad? like is it a better squad than what United had? Maybe. But, like, the team that he left United with by defense and then, you know, Valencia, Dormian, Young, okay, those aren't his players. Uh, but then in the midfield, Matic, Pogba, um, you have Mkhitaryan, like, Mkhitaryan, Sanchez, Lukaku, like, those were his players. Like, he brought them in. Yeah. So, if the team wasn't as good, or if Tottenham were better than the squad that you left at United, like, that's – a lot of that is your fault.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and this isn't to excuse, you know, what he did with that squad. But, you know, our, our back four for that 4-0 FC run where we were kind of neck and neck with City for the first part of the season, was buying Phil Jones were a primary partnership there, you know, it, if he allows his teams to attack, then, you know, They'll express themselves and they'll do it. They'll get goals.
2: Yeah, I mean, Martial and Rashford were on fire that year. What did Mourinho do? He uh, he brought in Alexis Sanchez and relegated them to the bench. Paul Pogba was having a great year. Uh, in January, for like three straight games in January. I should have this right up here. I could check this. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, that was um, the, the Scott McTominay season.
2: Okay, so from Boxing Day onwards, one, two, three, four, five straight games, Paul Pogba was the arm, uh, got the armband, and then in January, Mourinho gets that one-year contract extension, and three days later, he starts to fight with Paul Pogba. That's, I mean, that is as classic Mourinho as you can get. That United team was playing really well, and Jose Mourinho got in. In, their, in in his own way.
0: So, I guess bringing this back to, you know, present day a little bit. If you're Solskjaer, what do you do in the midfield to try and fix this situation? Because obviously there have been communication problems in the defense that led to some of these goals. But United need to be able to control the game a lot better than they have been doing. And maybe... There's going to be a lot more questions about Paul Pogba based on, you know, comments today that he made, not necessarily saying that he's going to leave again, but, you know, kind of indicating that or people are indicating that that is on his mind. Um, Nemanja Matic was not necessarily up for the job. Um, Fred came in and looked pretty good. Scott McTominay also came in and Donny Van De Beek has looked okay off the bench, but... It seems like the midfield that Solskjaer has gone with for most of the last year has broken down a little bit.
1: Um, Yeah, I was watching... um, TIFO Football just came out with a a video today, October 8th, about whether or not Solskjaer could look into doing like a diamond midfield again, um, just so that way he could better incorporate Donny Vandebake. And I, I think the problem that we run into is... I just don't know that either Matic has got the legs for it, or you know, whomever would actually be that you know pivot at, in you know covering the the back line. I just it would be nice to get Van de Beek and Pogba in there, and then you have Bruno up top, but then you run into the issue too, and they they mentioned this in the video. Like, I don't think that Bruno is necessarily a pressing presence that say. Um Jesse Lingard was when he first implemented the diamond and it was so successful um, you know, the spring of two thousand and nineteen. I just wonder if um, i just I just don't think Pog was fit yet, and I think that's part of the problem. He looked lethargic. Yeah. He was making dumb errors. He gave up the penalty. Um, you know, he's just not he's just not there yet. Um, he had no preseason because he ended up getting sick with Covid. And so whether or not the effects of COVID have debilitated him at all, at the very least, him not being able to train has caused some issues. Um, and so he's just not up to snuff yet. Um, um, you know, we're still getting this. Hmm? Uh,
0: I was, I was going to say Donnie Van De Beek is kind of a player that you could maybe put in that role. Or if you wanted to play a midfield with sort of free eights, him and Bruno Fernandez next to each other. I mean, Donnie seems like he's got the energy to play right now or yeah. be starting games right now. That could be a potential
1: solution.
2: Donnie is the only one that looks a lot. I mean, this is a season where Well, and any, he had
1: the most preseason out of anybody because Air right. Divisi actually canceled.
2: Yeah. Yep. And any but basically like anything and, and everything that could have got I don't want to say wrong and, and I'll you'll see why I don't want to say wrong in a minute, but like anything that could have disrupted United's chances to prepare. Um, for this season happened. Maguire, the, the grease thing for Maguire. Pogba gets COVID. Um, Rashford withdraws from the England squad, which tells us he's still hurt. Juan
1: um, Bissaka had to quarantine because he yeah, went to uh, Saudi Arabia.
2: has to, has to quarantine. Mm-hmm. Right before the season starts, Bruno Fernandez, uh, has a new baby. He goes and plays for Portugal and then has a new baby. So, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but people with newborns don't tend to sleep a lot. And that's probably not good for someone who, you know, needed to rest and recover and get on the pitch. And Bruno has looked atrocious, uh, this, this season. So Pogba has been bad and he's been careless and he's been turned the ball over at bad times. Um, you know, the Crystal Palace game changes on on a shaky penalty that De Gea saves, and then they ridiculously go make him retake it, and the third goal is conceded because at that point we were in throw-everything-forward, and if we concede a goal like that, that happens mode, and we conceded a goal. This Tottenham game, for as bad as it was, and like, as much as Mourinho blew it away, it was just simple mistake after simple mistake. Like, that first goal, which we already talked about, that second goal. Then Bailly, the third goal, Baye just gives the ball to Matic, who has eight people on him. And boom, Spurs get it back at the top of the box. Two seconds later, it's in the back of your net. Uh, the fourth goal, that near post run from Sun, where Baye just... Sta- like, the video comes out of De Gea yelling at Shaw. Like, Go watch that from a normal angle. And all of this should be on the site. Uh, but I'm not going to name names. Someone hasn't posted that hasn't posted it yet. But if you watch that from a normal angle, McGuire literally runs over to pick up Aurier, points, looks at Shaw and points at Kane and tells him, go pick up Kane. And Shaw looks, sees that Terry Kane, runs over. And as soon as he runs over, that's when Sun starts his run. Because Sun sees that space and Sun's a very smart player. He sees that Luke Shaw is vacating the space and that he should go attack it. Um, so that leads to the fourth goal, that fifth goal, same thing. Pogba just lets Aurier run free. Um, and then the sixth goal is the penalty, like it as bad as it was, it's just it was just simple mistake after simple so, mistake after simple mistake. Where do you go to the midfield? The midfield is the the problem in the midfield has been Nemanja Matic has been running all the way up the field to press, which is not Matic's game. And People blame Pogba like, oh, Pogba doesn't provide enough defensive cover. Well, you're leaving Pogba as your Matic now. That's not yeah. his game. And Matic running up and pressing isn't his game. And it's not going to be effective because he's not going to be good at that. So Matic is actually the one leaving Pogba all alone and exposed. And Bruno Fernandes had no interest in, in running around and playing defense and coming back on Sunday. And Solskjaer was right to take him out at halftime because he was terrible, both on the ball and off the ball. He was terrible defensively against Brighton too. So everybody Um, says, well, Pogba needs to be dropped because he's turning the ball over in dangerous areas. Bruno's been dropping into midfield and and giving the ball away too. So what do you do there? Who do you play there that's going to be safe with the ball?
0: Do you think that Fred is a potential answer? I mean, he came on against Tottenham and looked okay at times, but he's, you know, obviously not a physical presence as a defensive midfielder, but he has got that speed and interception ability.
2: I, I, I want, I like the Fred Pogba pivot. I just, I think right now we're, we can't do that yet. I mean, I think Fred should get a chance, but I think yep. we, we're not there yet. Um, to, to play that. Matic has to go back to being Matic. Just sit. That's, that's your game. Nemanja, like that's what you do. Um,
0: so what what then is what is our timeline for panicking? Because I I think you know three games into the Premier League season, this isn't the time to panic just yet. But the, there's a hell of a schedule coming. I mean, we've got Newcastle, PSG, Chelsea, RB Leipzig, Arsenal, Istanbul, Everton, who are in good form, and West Brom, and then top uh, not top, Southampton. You know, well, I mean, West Brom, you're, South you're reading Hampton off a schedule like
2: into December. What do we have, like five games? Yeah, days? this is, this is through days the, days the end of the November.
0: So what I was going to say is by the end of November, I mean, what what is our expectation for, you know, getting our shit together? Because if we get to the end of November and we haven't hit 10 points yet, I'm going to be panicking.
2: Yeah, well, that's obvious. Yeah, if you haven't hit 10 points, that's a huge problem uh, because you're 30% of the way there. I I mean given the suspension to Martial they're going to go to a back 3 especially mm-hmm. because the the schedule dictates it and it helps because um you could you could tuck Shaw inside you could push and this will push Tellez further up the pitch which will give you width on that left side um Rashford can come in and play next to Cavani and and you bulk up in the middle a bit more and they're going to do this because the number one area that Solskjaer needed to upgrade, or wanted to upgrade, his number one priority was Jaden Sancho to play on the right wing, and they did not do that, and they do not have a right winger. They That right wing is a black hole right now, because Mason Greenwood has been figured out, and you saw it against Brighton. He gets the ball at the top of the box. Four players converge on him. They left McGuire and Rashford wide open, because... Mason Greenwood is such a threat to shoot. And they took that away. And then against Tottenham, same thing happened. Rashford gave him the ball. Rashford makes a run. Four players converge onto Mason Greenwood. All he had to do was put that ball, just flick it in front of him. And Rashford is right there. And that would have caused uh, Eric Dyer to come over to Rashford. And then Martial and Bruno Fernandes are wide open in front. And instead Greenwood turned around, brought it outside the box and twisted around and took a crazy shot with his right foot. He needs you know, I'm not i I'm not killing him because he's not ready. He's nineteen. We didn't expect him to be ready to play every week at this point. He's very much not. Um yep. so
0: But the, I mean, uh Nathan, I I apologize for cutting you off earlier when you were talking about a diamond midfield, but that would, you know, imply playing a front two. Do you guys think that a partnership of Greenwood and Rashford would potentially work in a front two in front of a diamond midfield?
1: I mean, the way that they're hyping them up and the the jersey numbers and things like that, I wonder if maybe the plan is to play Cavani a lot more than what we're anticipating right now. I I think the reason why tifo all of a sudden is doing a video about a diamond midfield as i think the expectation is you know do we maybe see a partnership of cavani rashford up top and then you expect you know bruno or i don't know maybe even pogba to play kind of at a false nine role then um i i, I think we are going to see like a lot more cavani i think rashford probably needs to get get some more rest and not play as much um Obviously, we're going to be without Marcial this weekend anyway, so it's probably going to be Greenwood. Um, and, of course, we won't have Cavani this weekend either because he's uh, quarantine rules and things like that. Um, but, I, yes, I think I, I think the reason why we brought in Cavani was to make up for the fact that we do not have Sancho on the right side, so we are not going to play this year with you know the prime setup that we'd want where we have a left and a right winger combining with Marcial up front. I think we're – it wouldn't even surprise me if we went to like a four-four-two at some point where maybe he pulls like a Duncan Ferguson, like we're going to get back to the basics and just do like a like a just an OG four-four-two, just to like shore up the back line, make sure we're not shipping goals and then, you know, rely on the fact that we have an Ensign Cavani who, despite only playing seven games last year, and I'm sure that's not age related at all, um, tends to find the back of the net pretty frequently. Um I, I I think he's going to be a crutch that we lean on, almost like they, we leaned on Ibrahimovic in uh, 2017.
2: They don't have the personnel to play uh, to play a 4-4-2, uh, but I th- I think I, I do think Cavani's going to play more than we expected him to to begin with. But I think you're running into a problem now because you don't want Rashford to burn out. But nope. basically, basically like against PSG, you have to play. Uh, I mean, Cavani is that'll be like when he's ready to come into the team. Although hard to th- see him starting if he hasn't even been training with the team, but you don't want to burn Rashford out. Marcial has to play in Martial has to play in, in every champions league game because he can't play in the Premier league. Um, you can't go up uh, Rashford and Greenwood to answer your question. Question, uh, Colin, would not make a good partnership at the top of a diamond because the way Solstar plays a diamond, and the, is he wants his wing, he wants his forwards wide, and it opens up that space in the middle um, for your number ten. So if you wanted to go to a diamond, you have to play Pogba in that role because Bruno did it against Everton and didn't do it. He frequently ended up being the the deepest midfielder, like Matic and Fred and McTominay would all get behind beyond him. And you need to actually like kind of play as a striker in that in that situation. But Greenwood and Rashford are not good in split striker formations. Uh, you know, Rashford has scored a few goals against Tottenham, uh, against Liverpool, uh, but that's about it. United score like one, don't even score a goal a game when they play with the split strikers. It, it and it's not the best formation for Rashford and Greenwood when he plays there is invisible. He had to be subbed off against City in the League <coughs> Cup. He was invisible against against Everton. So that's not a formation for him. So you know, the diamond it just doesn't make sense to me because you take your best players and you take them out of their best positions at, for the sake of what? To put Von de Bake on the field? Like to get it like, you know, last year we did it to put McTominay on the field. So at least Von de Bake's an upgrade there. The, the one thing that says maybe it could be different is the Cavani factor. If Cavani could play as that right striker, Rashford and Marcial are both, they could both be a left striker. Neither of them could be on the right, which is why it doesn't work for the two of them. And with, with Tevez being a more offensive fullback, maybe you can get something from that, but I don't see him trying it too soon. I, I think he'd go to the back three, much quicker because he do, he need, he's a defensive guy, and defense has always been the priority for him. And he needs to shore up that defense before he even thinks about the attack.
0: Right. But uh, you know Manchester United's first game against PSG. Uh, the prospect of Cavani and Martial starting together is interesting, uh, to say the least. Uh, if we do go with a front two, I know that the story is that Cavani is eager to play in that game. But as you said, Paulie, Martial. I mean, going to have to play in those just for the sake of giving people a break uh, between Premier League games. So that is going to do it for part one. Uh, And when we come back, we are going to look at Manchester United's uh, transfer signings on deadline day and uh, rate them, say what we know about them and uh, talk about what we're looking forward to. So stay tuned. And we are back for part two. Um, So deadline day for this weird transfer window was this past Monday. And uh, though Manchester United did not get Jadon Sancho, they did find a new number seven. Um, Edinson Cavani, who was a free agent after his deal with PSG ended, uh, signs on a one-on-one deal. Um, uh, So this year and then the option to extend for next year if things work out. For about 200K a week. Um, big name, but not necessarily the player that he once was. Um, I haven't watched him that much for PSG, and it's mostly because he hasn't played for PSG that much uh, this past season. But I think it is worth noting that his numbers have gone down since the arrival of Mbappe and Neymar. And that certainly had a part to do with you know, his reduced role. Um, he and Neymar clashed heads a couple times which, you know, he was always going to lose that battle. But uh, he comes in apparently very motivated to make a splash. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess we'll see how this goes. But for now, how do you guys think about this transfer?
1: Um, I mean, from an optics perspective, I just, it just stinks. Like, just really, like, Spongebob's onion breath stinks. Um, it's been a free agent all summer. And we signed him on deadline day. And the reason why he's been a free agent is because he is older and he wanted way too much money. And even though all of last year they talked about how him to Atletico Madrid just made too much sense. He was the perfect fit and it was basically going to happen. It never did because at the end of the day, too expensive and he's older. And he wants a longer deal than probably any club wants to give him. Um, The... It, it, it feels like a troll that he's wearing the number seven because everybody, uh, everybody's favorite Manchester United fan account, whichever one you choose um, to follow, it, everybody had Sancho pegged as he was going to wear the number seven. We were going to sign him. He was going to break the curse of the seven shirt. So the fact that we didn't bring in Sancho um, – We brought in Cavani on a last second deal, which whether or not he was plan B, plan C or whatever, and he was on the radar, either way, it still looks desperate. And then we give him that number two. It's just from an optic standpoint, it looks just really just bad. Um, From an actual football perspective, I I don't necessarily hate it as long as we don't extend him. Um, I think he could be a stopgap striker for us this year where maybe it's just. He's that wrinkle. He's that extra wrinkle that we haven't had uh, where we need to go get a goal. We put him in. Um, What's going to be very curious and what we'll see, uh, considering we do have forwards with injury histories and tend to go down for three and four weeks at a time. um, How good is Cavani going to be when he starts playing a lot of games back to back to back for Manchester United, as opposed to coming in and fulfilling a need when we need it? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm tepid on the deal. Like, I'm going to stay cautiously optimistic because, I mean, he was lethal as a goal scorer for for PSG. So, like, the pedigree's there. It just, he's not as exciting as Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Also, I think it's a weird compare. I I understand why people make that comparison of, like, Cavani to um, United and Ibrahimovic to United, but playing wise, they're not really the same player either but circumstantially I guess yes it's a similar move
2: yeah Nathan's 100% right that the optics of this suck Uh, and it just it screams it screams of a panic pie but
0: let's be honest this entire day did the entire deadline day kind of screamed panic
2: it it did but I I understood it it was you had money set aside for Sancho and you were waiting for your owner to say we can make that bid and that never came. And when you finally gave up on Sancho, it was like, okay, well we can now go through these other deals that we have already worked out and we could spend that money because it's it's sitting here. If we had if we had you know, like Palestri, uh, Diallo, those things didn't need to wait until deadline day. No, they but if we not. had if we had made them, if we had made those deals three weeks prior, then we wouldn't have had any chance at, at um at signing Sancho and Soulstar was you know up at Woodward's face every single day being like no go get me Sancho go get me Sancho and Woodward was apparently yelling it at, at Joel Glazer like to let him get him and it, it never got approved but they didn't want to give up on their number one target and so mm-hmm. that's why once they finally did all those deals were able to happen very quickly you know like we we knew that the thing holding up the Telez deal was we had to sell small. So, but the Cavani thing, yeah, the optics of it suck. I am, he, I do, he's a better fit than Zlatan is and kudos to the club because they didn't get suckered into a bad con. Like his wages are actually fairly reasonable and it's a one year deal. If he sucks, they could say, we're not extending you. They, they don't, I I, it would really, a lot would have to go right for him to get extended Basically, because Ali clearly wants another striker, I think that's clear. That Marcial might not be his guy, and that he wants somebody else, and so somebody else long term. Um, probably Erling Holland. And if Holland doesn't come on uh, come on the market next year, then um, then uh, you know you maybe extend Kamani. I just, I, I just, I'm just afraid of like if he hit the stretch where over the festive period he scores five goals two of them come in like an FA cup tie against Coventry. Um, and all of a sudden right. they're like, Oh, he's on great form. Let's extend him. And it's like, well, wait, like he has eight goals this year. Like, seriously, like we're, we're yeah. giving, he's got one hot streak and suddenly like we're extending him. Like, we love
1: him. a January extension.
0: That, that is kind of the thing about this deal that makes me feel a little bit better is that I mean, one, we're not paying him, you know, three fifty K or something like that a week. Um, you know, paying agents fees sucks, but apparently they got them lower than what his in- agent was initially asking, you know, Atletico for. And being on a one year deal with a plus one extension makes it a lot nicer to swallow than if he signed a three year deal or something like that.
2: And it, it was also people were talking about like, uh, Kavani, oh, he's a great plan B. And it's like, I hate the term plan B because plan B it just makes you think we're going to put this guy in and then our, our whole strategy changes. And it's like, no, like
0: right.
2: he's a good plan at one A. Like he could fit into our team the way that we play, but he also gives us a different dimension so that we could do a couple of other things, which we don't do because they're inefficient, but like you need to do them, um, you know, to open your, so that you don't become one dimensional. It's like, again, sorry for the, Cross sport comparison, but like in the NFL, why do you why do you hand the ball off to to your running back to run into a wall of 300 pound linemen for a gain of three or four? Like you do that, to, you know, it opens up the play action pass, and you know, so the defense stays honest, and they don't just think that you're going to throw the ball every time. It's a lot easier to throw the ball for eight to 15 yards than it is to run for eight to eight or 15 yards. Um, so like you know, having Cavani in there allows you to do some other things that open up a defense and allow us to do what we're best at against a defense that now has to watch out for a few other things.
0: Right. And another thing as well, the Zlatan comparison, I know that Cavani has that reputation of having a pretty big head on his shoulders, you know, literally and figuratively, but he doesn't come with that personal expectation that things are going to revolve around him that I think maybe Zlatan did. Uh, which is Maybe. probably what all we had to
2: play. We had to play Zlatan's way. It killed us. Ball to feet every time. It was like all we needed was a player to run in behind. Terrible football. Awful. We, we signed Paul Pogba for what? To pass the ball to Zlatan's feet? Come on. Like you signed Paul Pogba to get somebody who can run in behind, and the defense has left us so much space to run in behind because Zlatan refused to do it. And they knew it.
1: What if Flex buys Lotton to be like, give me Pogba <laughs> to pass me the ball?
0: But, but this one, he should have passed it.
1: Yeah. God.
0: I think that was actually Pogba's first game, was that uh, press conference. Anyway, next signing, Alex Tellez, left back from FC Porto. Uh, somebody who has been on everyone who's played FIFA's radar uh, for the past five years. And somebody who's been on United's radar kind of the past year or so. Um, he gives us a much better attacking option at left back. Um, not so great defensively. He is a set piece specialist. Uh, put that in quotes. Um, and he's got some goal comps from long range. And I think he took penalties for Porto as well.
2: He did.
0: But uh, yeah. So pretty decent signing at a position that fans wanted. You know, an upgrade Something. at but do we think that this is an upgrade? Over um,
1: shop? It's maybe a smidge smidge upgrade. I Probably a horizontal move. I think where it's important was um, based on his production versus what we actually paid for him. Like What we did was we spent money so that way we could get a second left-footed left-back. So that way Brandon Williams could probably more comfortably transition to being Aaron Wan-Bissaka's understudy. So that way maybe, I don't know, God forbid, Aaron Wan-Bissaka could get a rest once in a while too. Um, but I, I don't think that Alex Telles is going to add anything extra to our defense. Maybe he adds a little something to his off, to our offense. I don't know. Uh, what we need to find out is can he cross, cross the ball to Edison Cavani's big, big dumb head. I think is the most important question, but I had, tweet, I had tweeted about it that, and you had mentioned it just now. I think the most important part about this move is honestly like just for FIFA people like it, United doing the Lord's work of bringing in Cavani. So that way he's going to make pre- cheaper because you're never going to actually play with Cavani, but he's high rated so you can put him in the SBCs and then tell who, despite maybe not being great on the pitch, in real life, has good measurable stats for FIFA, and so there's another left back for for FIFA heads, and that, that's yeah. I think that's where he's going to make his biggest man. impact is this year, is the fact that he'll be a Premier League left back. Like, thank you for your service.
2: I have no idea what that meant. I'm just worried that people are going to see eight goals, eleven assists, or twelve assists, or whatever it was, and and that's what how to they're going to set that's how they're going to set their ex- expectations for Telez like or. I think he had 11 goals. I don't know. I I think he had eight penalties.
1: I mean, I think that's and, a way to kind of, like, weed out who's somebody who actually pays attention and who just, like, looks at stats and expects that maybe we just sign the next Danny Alves. Right. Where, like, like, I don't six think six it's
2: assists, a... Six of his assists came, on, came directly from corners, and if you're going to tell me, oh, well, he'll... He could take corners and now we're gonna be threatening from corners. Like, yeah, that's what we said about Bruno Fernandez. Yeah. Like United don't score on corners, and it's not because of poor delivery. It's because our, our corner strategy is just try to put it on Maguire's forehead when, you know, maybe put pogba in there and or, you know, do do something to free up Harry Maguire. Run. I mean, like, I'm Scotland tonight ran this great set piece where they're Players did a bunch of different things, and Scott McTominay ended up wide open, and that's who they were trying to get the ball to because the ball came right to him. Like, do things like that. Like, international teams have figured out that, like, if we just concentrate on set pieces, we become very lethal. It's amazing how it hasn't gotten to the club level yet. So, we need to bring Alex back Louis Van Gaal
1: as a special <laughs> teams coach. Yeah, <laughs> He'll be our throwing coach. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like, did tell us help us there? Like, I, I just think... My expect like my thing is if you're Luke Shaw, if you're a second Luke Shaw, I'm fine with that because you are you have a better brain on your shoulders going forward. Um, and United just struggled so much when they didn't have a left-footed left back in there. That having two is a huge asset. That even you know if you're better than Shaw, great. Uh, even if you're equal to Shaw, like just to have like when you're playing in Town just to have Luke Shaw in that team because he's the backup now like would help make this squad up much deeper.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is one and of those uh, depth signings that we had been screaming about for a while. <laughs> where it's just like we yeah. need to have new fresh bodies to come in in reserve. We're in four competitions. Like it, this signing doesn't hurt us, and for for the most part, unless Telez turns out to be just like a huge pile of trash in the Premier League, but I don't think that'll be the yeah, case. It's for just the, think funniest it'll be fine.
2: Thing, the funniest thing is when I was making comments about Sancho and Timo Werner earlier this year and people were saying, oh, well, like you should watch the Bundesliga because none of that's true. And it's like I watch a lot of the Bundesliga. Somehow between Bruno Fernandes and Alex Telles, every United fan in the UK is like an expert on the Portuguese league. And I am telling you, nobody watches the Portuguese league. And I've spoken to people in England about this. Like, nobody watched the Portuguese league. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> everybody on Twitter is an expert on on Portuguese football now.
1: I, I had gotten a free trial for a streaming service just so I could watch the Lisbon Derby back in January when it was like almost a done deal that we were going to sign Bruno. Just that's the first Liga Nos game I ever watched.
0: Yeah. But expert. like Bruno Fernandes, you know Alex Telles comes over. You know, I mean he's in his late twenties. He's older than Bruno is, but on a five year deal as a twenty seven year old about to be twenty eight, you know this is his chance. That this is his shot at you know making it big time in club football, so
2: yeah, hopefully really that, that is another motivator that for him. Taking a flight from Brazil next week to, before he meets up with us. Yeah. Wait, is, right. is, wait, is he in Brazil? Isn't he with the Brazilian team? Um.
0: Yeah. He. I mean, he's Brazilian. I don't know if he is in the current team. I have not paid attention
2: much to international sports. I. I. I don't know either. I just remember enough. seeing like. You know, the crazy, hysterical, I, the sky is falling fans basically being like on Friday or Saturday. Being like, if Tellez isn't signed by tonight, right. he gets on a plane to go to Brazil for the international break. Um,
0: so, so just um, looking at the schedule for international friendlies, I'm not seeing Brazil fixtures or really. They might
2: have not, Maybe they health. have
0: qualifying going on. Um yeah, those are under-friendly, so they may have their own, like, yep, here we go.
1: Yeah, they play Bolivia tomorrow.
2: Yeah. And, uh... I'm just gonna ask, like, considering, you know, everybody else's situation, and Cavani, but, uh, if he goes to South America, like, doesn't he have to quarantine when he comes back?
0: I want to say that is correct. Um but I don't know for sure and I'm guessing you guys don't either since you asked that question.
1: Um
2: He is on the team. Uh, okay. And he's only had one cap in his life.
1: Yeah, they're I think okay. they're anticipating uh Lodi from Atletico Madrid to start at left back, which might be a little damning for Telles cuz Lodi's like 20 years old.
2: It's 22. You know, it's four Brazil
1: have been blessed with very good pullbacks Right, I mean, Yeah, they've over had the more so so. <laughs> team. But,
2: but yeah, yeah, one cap and in the second. Alexandro. It is, is four.
0: Um, so moving on to the next signing uh, Facundo Polistri, uh, a young Uruguayan winger who is a pure winger. Um, he only has one, I think, professional level goal in his career uh, this past season when he was at Penn Earl. But uh, from what I have seen of him, you know, these brief YouTube highlight videos and compilations and welcome to Manchester United videos. uh, He's a tricky, technically gifted winger. Um, He doesn't necessarily have the same kind of, I guess, acceleration, acceleration speed that, uh, you know, Marcus Rashford and uh, Jadon Sancho have, but you know, he is good in tight spaces. He's a decent passer of the ball, and he's good in link-up play on counterattacks. But still, definitely a developmental project, uh, it would seem.
1: Yeah, and I I think that was the purpose of this signing. was it, it. I don't think there was any... I hope there wasn't any intention of signing him and expecting him to play, like, significant minutes this year for the first team. I think it's... Uh, that's one for the U23 team, where it sounds like they've been scouting him, and they do like what he brings to the table. So let him play for our U23 team and see how he pans out.
0: Yeah, he was on the radar of other Premier League teams. Um, it seems I, I and he was linked with Chelsea and Manchester City uh, over the past year. But um,
1: get him before they do.
2: I don't think he's going to go to the U23s. I think the plan is for him to come in and be with the first team. And in a normal year, yeah, maybe he'd play a game or two with the U 23s, but that's difficult now because they're in separate bubbles. Like that was the issue with, uh, like they wanted Tate and Mengi to play last week with one of the youth teams. And they couldn't because they were like, that would have meant he had to, he would have missed a week of first team training. And they were like, I think it's more important for him to be training with the first team for a week, sit on the bench against Brighton. Um, than to go and, and play the game. And, like, yeah, he needs game time. But now it's, like, you have to make these decisions. It used to be, like, you train with the first team, but, like, we'll send you down to the U23s to play. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. You can't do that right yeah. now.
0: And he is listed in the Champions League squad as well, the 25-man squad, um, which had some notable exclusions. But uh, UEFA has a B-list rule now yeah, there's where, no notable where uh, exc-
2: uh, home, homegrown there's grown there's
0: players there. can, yeah.
2: Yeah, like... It's the, we do this every year. Fans go, "Why the hell is Mason Greenwood not in the Champions League team?" Uh, the men put out an article that's headlined "Mason Greenwood left out of United's Champions League squad." and it's like, "No, like you, you mm, don't those you know, clicks. Yeah, 21, 21 uh, under and under or something, homegrown, like you don't need to put him in the squad. Like this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous that fans just do this year after year after year.
1: Outrage culture, man. It's disgusting.
0: (laughs) And uh, our fourth and final signing of the deadline window was uh, Adan Diallo Traore, who is a winger from Atalanta, who have had quite a few of their products uh, picked from their academy uh, over the last year after their recent Champions League success. But he is not joining the team until January uh, because of work permit issues but uh yeah Thought, thoughts on this another I guess similar to um, police Street deal where you know ideally he turns into the kind of player that Jaden Sancho was supposed to be
1: yeah
2: yeah I mean it's hard to expect somebody to be Jaden Sancho because I don't think people realize how good Jaden Sancho is
1: a once in a generation talent Jaden yeah. Sancho is that yeah. what you're yeah. saying yeah. I mean, maybe, people, maybe people Joel blazer doesn't realize yeah.
2: yeah people were saying like oh you know it's a good thing like Last international break, people were like, we shouldn't even spend the money on Sancho. He played, like, shit for England. It's like, all right, face that on two games, dummy. But, like, he is a general... He is so good. Um, This guy tracks, um, basically, like, hockey scoring for Borussia Dortmund. Like, uh, goals, assists, and secondary assists. Like, they give it. Jaden Sancho, it's so... Like, he'd have, like... Uh, you know, he had 20 assists um, in all competitions last year. He would have had, like, 37 if we gave out secondary assists also. And, like, Osman Dembele and, like, all the players who came before him at, at Dorman like, they never came close to, like, the numbers that he would have been putting up. Um, but, yeah, that's the hope. The hope is that these guys don't, Uh, that these guys become good players and that they fit in and, and, you know, grow and become stars or at least, you know, good, reliable options to have. And and the other hope is that they don't find themselves in a Dan James situation, which I said, you know, Dan James was a victim of circumstance in that he got off to a hot start, but at the same time, Pogba went down, Martial went down. Uh, We realized very quickly that Lingard and... Um, Pereira were not going to provide anything and suddenly James had to play every week and he was doing a great job of that and he made himself undroppable because no one was even you know there was such a drop-off between Dan James and anybody else that this player who was supposed to be a squad player had to play every game and he just we tired him out and he got tired and he lost his confidence and he has yet to gain it back so you you want to Hope that, like when these guys come in, we're not in a dire situation where we're like, oh, we need you to be a savior, and we're not in a situation where, like, if they do come in and have a very good first two games, that it's not like we don't have anybody else and we just need to play you every game.
1: Yeah, I mean, as as far as this uh, Ahmad Traore deal is concerned, it, I think it's a it's a mix of the Palastri deal and the Cavani deal where the Palastri deal, it makes me helpful. Glad to see that we're signing some young guys to hopefully be able to, you know, build our own squad of really, really impressive youngsters um, and start to, you know, bring them into the first team eventually and, and they break out and potentially have ourselves another Mason Greenwood or somebody like that. Um, Certainly, United's hit on a couple of these where they bring in a relatively unknown, you know, teenager, um, for a fee uh, like an eye watering fee. And then they turn out to be all right. Um, but the problem that we run into with Traore, like we run into with Cavani is again, from a PR standpoint, it just, it just stinks, man. Cause it's, <clears throat> it's one of these things. Again, you not only are you bringing in a player, um, for 40 million pounds, he was the, our most expensive signing. Well, it's 21. Well, the deal's like yeah, with add-ons. Yeah. yeah. What? So, but the the number that they throw around. Once again, I'm for the public relations point. Everybody's throwing around the 41 million number.
2: Yeah, that's that's what they're always going to throw around. And yeah. I found out why that is. Is um, it had to be high because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to get a work permit. No. Uh, because the club had to show that, like, oh, he's a significant investment that we need. Otherwise, the work permit wouldn't go through. So they ha- so it wasn't even like, a, oh, like, uh, Atalanta, like, held out on us. It was like we needed to make the deal. I mean, we're only paying half the fee right now. Like, there's a chance if, if he sucks, we're never paying the second half of that fee.
1: No. But so we again, to for- make
2: the first half high because of the work permit.
1: So – with my concerns, though, um, because not everybody clicks the article like uh, Polly just did, um, it just is not going to look good. People are just going to see forty-one million, and they're going to see eighteen-year-old, and they're going to be like, "Okay, so that's already a third of what the fee was for Jaden Sancho. Like, why didn't we get Jaden Sancho? Um, and why was this? I don't because really feel like we
2: most of that twenty-one million you know. isn't being paid this year. That's yeah. the biggest thing I think that's coming out is. You look at all these other teams and how much they're spending, yeah. We don't know how much they're actually spending like Liverpool are spending sixty one million on Tiago and Jota. but they're only spending nine million this year. Yeah. And that's offset by a player sale. So yeah. like nine million. That's all the money that they have. So like when people are worried about oh, Liverpool are gonna be in for Jaden Sancho next year. Like Liverpool don't have any money the same way like the same way that we that we are struggling financially, Liverpool are struggling even more, but they have a disproportional amount of Jota and Tiago to have to pay next year. Like they're they don't have money for Sancho.
1: Yeah. But so but this is just like I said, I'm approaching this right now from just a public relations standpoint. It just doesn't. You know, there's a lot of people who aren't going to read the articles and they're not going to do this. And that's what's causing the toxicity in the fan base. And so what my concern is, is Manchester United. And if you read that report that came out in The Athletic literally hours after the deadline ended. What was the point of bringing in Neil Ashton if it looks this bad from the outside? Like, I I cannot understand either they are aware of it and they're just not addressing it properly or they are blissfully ignorant to what it looks like from the outside. But the idea that if you knew that Jaden Sancho was going to be too much this year, because we know what the finances are. United has to post 65 million in profits. Otherwise, technically they could be uh, in default of their loans. And so that's a number that they're always concerned with. They're concerned with the fact that they were going to post 100 million in losses because they don't have match day revenue. Um, And then they've got the Premier League broadcasting um, uh, rebate that they have to uh, help put money towards as well. So you've got all these financial things that are happening. If the price for Sancho was too much, why was Sancho on the table all the way until the final day? I know he was Ollie's guy, but at some point, I think you have to organizationally come out and say, hey, this is the situation right now. We're not going to buy this player for this much money. We're not going to be bent over a barrel by Dortmund because he's got an additional year on this contract. We are not going to pay... 120 million that could then build up to what they were saying was close to 250 million was the number that was reported by the athletic so once again I just think from a PR standpoint Manchester United just fucked this whole thing up because they've never come out and said hey this is what's the deal this is why we're not going to do this we're bringing in these other people instead I understand that they want to they they it, couldn't do that because
2: if they do that it tanks the share price, and the only people that they actually care about responding to are the shareholders.
1: Right. So, but this is one of those things that where it, they're just they're not managing any of this properly because, it, but they're quick to point out like, oh, uh, Ed Woodward and the front office, they're not comfortable with the way people react on Twitter, and then. Um, unfor- more unfortunately, because things have gotten so bad too, there was the, uh, report I believe was Woodward like switching his residence or something after, um, that protest and, uh, more nefarious yeah. things happen outside yeah. of his house as well. Um, they're just, what, what's your PR team doing it, it is what my problem is and why it's just so, so head scratching. Like, I understand you got to maintain some kind of appearance, because the last thing you want to do is if you don't have any money, but you're the quote unquote, you know, third richest club in the world, like you don't want to appear broke. Um, you know, it may or may not have some allusions to a particular president. Um, but it's just one of those things like appearing to be rich still helps your brand. But at the end of the day, like manage your expectations so that way it's not this bad. Because, you know, Manchester United right now, if we had fans in the stands, can you imagine what that Tottenham atmosphere would have been like? It'd have been worse than the Burnley game.
0: These are correct points, no. and uh, the the way that things are just toxic in general right now, this obviously doesn't look great. But I I guess a few days removed from accepting that Jaden Sancho wasn't happening, it, this is a transfer window that I can feel at least a little bit positive about. Um, obviously, and with Diallo coming in January as well, that puts another you know why wasn't this done earlier tag on you know a second player in this transfer window but you know we're a slightly deeper team now and this also gives us you know a chance to continue to work with the team that had done so well at the end of last season to get us into the third place
1: yeah and, and, um,
0: and
1: that's why i wish they would have been a little bit more firmer up front with jaden sancho i don't right i don't think you have to get into the full-on finances i think you can just say hey you know what it's a pandemic right now. We're not paying 120 million for Jadon Sancho. Dortmund has priced this player outside of the market for no club to purchase him. Whatever. We're going to continue to now build our squad in a way that um, you know increases our depth, brings in potential youngsters who are going to you know potentially become great players, and we're going to bring in a couple veterans who are going to shore up guys that can come in right now and help this team out as we're in four competitions. I think if you come out and say all of that, now all of a sudden there's not this added expectation on some of these players that's like, oh, you know, you're the leftover since we didn't get Jaden Sancho. And if you don't, you know, and now if Jaden Sancho has a couple sick games for Dortmund and then we look like crap, you know, and maybe Cavani and Tellas are both in the starting lineup, it's only going to get worse. That's what it is. This is just going to get worse because they've not managed expectations. Right. All right. Well. I'm available for consultant fee at Neil Ashton. <laughs> yeah,
0: All of us are available for any
2: Manchester United-related job. Um, uh, I'm yeah, going to ruin the positivity uh, right. and basically whatever we a... said at the beginning of the show about the plan against Newcastle. Eric Bailly pulled his hamstring.
1: Just uh, now? Cool. Uh,
2: I think it was a few minutes ago, but I got a text saying that he came off injured and he pulled his hamstring.
1: Dude, so on brand for Eric Baye.
2: Right, he just completed like 90 minutes in like three games, so.
1: Yeah. He was probably doing a bu- from behind
0: like slide tackle or something. Yeah. Or something acrobatic. Is is Rahul um, in the
1: country? If we need him.
2: Uh, Twanzebe back in. In. Uh, yeah, ax, Axel
0: Twanzebe. Um, that, maybe United kind of made a big deal about that too. They were pushing this whole. Twanzebe interview, he's eager to get back to things. So maybe we will see well, Tuanzebe I mean, after, as part of a defensive partnership. After but that yeah, Tottenham I mean, game we, too,
1: they got to. Because everybody was watching that game going like, well, why didn't we go harder for Oppo Makano? Because again, that was a name that was pretty heavily linked with us.
2: No, linked by the fans. Never actual anything substantial.
1: Again, so manage expectations. Be like, hey, no, we're not in we're no, we're not doing this.
2: Well you can't. Because then, you know, you're not going to get linked with 100 something players a, a window. See, so if you, and most of it's bullshit. Yeah. So if you come out and say, oh, we're not in for Upa Meccano, then it's like, all right, well, why didn't, like, you know, I guess you are in for the other guys. You know, you can't just, if you start denying it, it opens up a Pandora's box.
0: And uh, I, I think the, the story early on, at least from The Athletic, too, was that his release. Clause can only be triggered after this season concludes yeah. so if he is on the radar um you know he's a potential future uh real quick though before we get out of here do you guys think that this Jaden Sancho thing is over and done with now
2: no. do you think that we no they'll go back in for him next year
1: I unless Pochettino wants them I think they're out I, I I honestly I'm only half kidding right now because we I, I, if you look at yep. it it is we're officially in the cycle it's that same cycle
2: we're not where... we're not officially in the cycle the cycle is the cycle is every two years like we we backed Mourinho in the second year we spent just as much money in year two as we did in year one we we didn't spend money and then we spent money this year but like we didn't spend money this year because we ha- we don't have it um right. but. They're gonna come in because like Jaden Sancho isn't just Solskjaer's number one like wet dream. He's Woodward's wet dream. The marketing that you can do around Jaden Sancho is the kind of player that Woodward w- loves. And, but
0: do you think that Jaden Sancho is still in for that? Yeah. I mean, he, do, he do you think that we door. are still his his number one?
2: Yeah, because nobody else is coming after him. we I'd still put us as the front runners unless PSG throw their hat in the ring. Liverpool don't have the money. Real Madrid who had no money this summer. Um, If they do have money next year, it's all going towards Kylian Mbappe. Barcelona don't have money. Their financial situation is laughable. Uh, Chelsea aren't aren't going to be able to spend what they spent this year, next year. So I'd still put us as a front runner.
1: I'm just not confident in it. I... For, for all the reasons why it appeared to be done and dusted, and for what we're finding out now is it was not nearly close to that, I just don't think that United have the wherewithal to get the deal over the line. And it would not surprise me if, as Chelsea shown, they can just have money appear out of nowhere. Uh, Manchester City c- can have money appear out of nowhere. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure Barcelona will find some way to fix their situation too. I don't know. I, I'm just I mean, I'm I'm very pessimistic towards it right now because it just
2: right. Barcelona's situation can't be fixed in a year. It's going to take years for that situation to be fixed.
1: No. That's why they're going to sell Messi in January
0: <laughs> to us. All right, we're going to end the podcast. Speaking here. of financial um, hell, <laughs> yeah, we we've, we've been talking uh, long enough, and we got to get out of here. So uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we will be back maybe next week, uh, depending on if there are any news developments. Uh, but we'll definitely be back to preview Newcastle and the Champions League. So, exciting stuff. The season is still happening, even if we don't have Dean Sancho. Positivity. Let's go. I've been S- calling.
1: Serenity now. Oh, I'm Paulie. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>